chapter 4 verse 12 it talks about how the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword now it's a different Greek word so scholars argue should we use that or should we not but I think the idea is that God's judgment is meted out by Jesus according to the word of God and that's why the Bible is so important the Bible is not just another book we live in a world full of books and books are great But the Bible is different because it's the Word of God. The Bible is God's Word, written by men, but inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's what the Lord wants people to know. It's how we learn who He is, how He sees the world, and how we fit into His plans. Today, Pastor Daniel reminds you that this book is worth every moment you spend reading it. The lessons you learn and the people you meet within its pages is life-altering. So today, as you study the Word with Pastor Daniel, let it transform you. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Revelation chapter 1 as he continues his message, Seeing Jesus. He's clothed in a garment, this is the middle of verse 13, down to his feet, and he was girded about the chest with a golden band. Now, we might not understand this reference, but no doubt this shows Jesus in his priestly robe, because the priests in Jesus' day would be dressed in this way. And the golden band, the high girding, was a mark of dignity that that the high priest had, according to Josephus. So really we see Jesus as a priest, the mediator for the covenant of God with people. Now, of course, we talked about last week about how we're all priests. Remember that? How many of you walked around and asked people to call you father or sister this week? You know, I hope you didn't, but you know what I mean? It's like that idea that, that God invites us to be a part of the work of mediation. Jesus does all the work, but we proclaim that work into the world. Remember I told you that priests, they stand before God in the presence of people, on behalf of people, and then stand before people on behalf of God. That's the role. And that's what all of us do, whether we are conscious of it or not, whether we do a good, faithful job of it or not. That's what we are. And so here we see, of course, Jesus is the great high priest. He's the priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, if you know that reference. But we see here Jesus with this priestly apparel. Now, not only that, and I could talk about that for about 40 minutes if I just let myself, but we're going to keep moving because there's a lot of things here. His head, this is verse 14, and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. So now you have this idea that his head and hair are gloriously white. And of course, there's the two pictures of both wool and snow. Yesterday in my home state of New Jersey, they got like a foot of snow. My sisters are sending me pictures of like, they're just whited out, foot of snow. And I'm like, hey, When John saw Jesus, his head and hair looked just like this. Now, what's beautiful, of course, is when you think of the idea of hair that is white, of course, we think of the wisdom of years. Can all the people with the wisdom of years say amen? Amen. That's right. Now, we live in a culture that doesn't value the wisdom of years like other cultures do. And in Jesus' culture, those who were older were revered. Of course, it says in, in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 31, the silver-headed head, the silver-haired head is a crown of glory if it is found in the way of righteousness. Now, I love that. 
Because you notice that it says, this, like the white-haired head is the crown of glory if it is found in the way of righteousness. What that means is you can have years but no wisdom if it's not found in the way of righteousness. So the godly person who has the wisdom of years, they have a crown of glory. Now, I love that. And I'm here to tell you, if you're older, if you're like, man, I'm just coming to faith now. Well, guess what? You have a ton of time. Walk in the way of righteousness. Lead in the way of righteousness. If you're younger right now, listen, you want to walk in the way of righteousness now so that you would have that crown of glory later. I'm amazed. I always like, I have gray coming in all over the place now. And people are like, I hope it's wisdom. I'm like, yeah, me too. <laughs> like, I never thought I would get gray. I never thought I would get older. You know, you just don't think about it when you're younger. But it happens. And so we want to be the people that are found in that way of righteousness. Now, not only is his head and hair, you know, it's a reference to obviously Jesus is the full embodiment of wisdom, but it also, you know, that reference, the idea of it being like snow, obviously, it implies kind of uh, purity. And Jesus, the example, is the ultimate example of purity. He He always did those things that please his father. So Jesus has this embodiment of both wisdom and purity as signified by this hair, it's like wool. You know, and you see the symbolic language. His hair's like wool. They're saying, well, does Jesus have like a wool head? No, he's not wearing a wool hat. It's like, it's, he's using symbolic language, right? Now, from there, of course, it moves from his, the white of his hair and his head to his eyes were like a flame of fire. Now, there's a number of references, of course, uh, Daniel chapter 10, verse 6 speaks of this as well. This vision he has of, of the Son of Man of Jesus, his eyes are as a, you know, like torches of fire, it says. And the eyes of fire is really a metaphor for, for judgment. It's a metaphor for judgment. Obviously, you know, uh, God is going to, you know, judge the world, you know, with fire. And then, of course, you have this idea of the purifying gaze of Jesus. Because if you think of the refiner's fire, remember, we go and buy jewelry, and some of you make jewelry. But anybody who makes jewelry with precious metals know that you have to heat up the precious metal, which will make it, the solid will be liquid. And then when you heat up the right amount, then the impurities come to the surface. And the refiner will take the impurities out and then cool it back down and shape it. Right, And so Jesus, his eyes have this work of both judgment and also the, his penetrating insight that purifies us. See, this is why it is so important for you and I to spend time in the presence of Jesus. Because when you look into the eyes of Jesus, his perfection and his purity rubs off on us. I don't know how many times, like maybe me and Lynn will have a funky interaction, not because of her, because of me. You know, and I'll go to pray, and Jesus would be like, yeah, why don't you go apologize to Lynn for being like that? And then at that point, I'd be like, oh, come on, Lord. You know, but like, you know how that goes. It's like, you got to go fix that. And it's really hard to keep long-term feuds going when you get into the presence of the Lord, because he's like, I died for reconciliation, so what are you holding on to? But again, what we do is we have a tendency to want to hold on to our hurts and not let Jesus transform those hurts. And I'm not saying that things don't hurt. And I'm not saying that we always do everything wrong, but Jesus in his presence, he does this work of refining us. And the beauty of the Christian faith is not that you're going to get everything right all the time, but as you continue to follow Jesus, Jesus is going to purify your way. 
because his eyes are like fire. His insight into not only your behaviors, but the depths of your soul, who you are, why you're that way. He wants to share that with you. But I'm here to tell you, nobody can do it for you. It's like your relationship with Jesus is your own. I talk to couples about that when they're getting married. They say, what do you think? I'm like, well, listen, marriage can be challenging because you're getting married to the person as they are. And then for the rest of your lives, you're going to be together. And who knows how they're going to grow? Are they going to grow closer to Jesus? Are they going to grow away from Jesus? Like, you just don't know what's going to happen. And they're like, well, then what should you do? I'm like, well, you should make sure that you know what you're getting into and your God's called you to it. And then you need to get into the presence of God every single day so that you grow in all the right ways. Because not only do you have to worry about your spouse, they got to worry about you. They got to worry about you walking, you growing. And a spouse can't have a relationship with Jesus for their significant other. You're responsible for your walk with Jesus. You know, I want to encourage you, reading through the Bible together. Every single morning, I so love, I, I, like I would be reading the Bible anyway, but I want to read what the church is reading, right? And I, and I just, like literally this morning, we were reading Exodus chapter 22 to 25, the end of, of Matthew 20. I just let the Lord, the Lord's talking about all oh, the greatness in serving. That was our passage in Matthew 20. It's such a beautiful passage. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I want to be a servant. Open up those doors for me to serve today. Show me where I can serve today. Even though I memorized the scripture, I know the scripture, I've taught the scripture. But today's the day to walk in the scripture. Again, let his eyes that are like fire and his penetrating insight do the work of refining you. But you have to look into his eyes. You have to make that decision. Now, I realize that some of you are like right now, you're like, Fusco, that's why I don't want to get into the presence of Jesus. Because the whole like eyes of fire, penetrating insight, don't want to know. I'm here to tell you, you do want to know. And you have to remember his penetrating insight into you. He knows everything about you and he still died on a cross for you. So it's not like, I realize it's like getting it like, it's like when you're a kid and your, your parents know what you did and they want to talk to you about it and you don't want to talk to them because you know you're in trouble, but you also know that they know what you did. Am I the only one who had that experience? I had that experience a lot growing up because my parents were not messing around. I was always in trouble and I would get that call be at work. Hey, Danny. Yeah, mom. You're coming home after work, right? I'm like, that's not a question, is it? She's like, no. Okay, I'll be home after work. And she's like, do you know what I want to talk with you about? I'm like, probably. You know, because she always knew. But I would still fear going home because I knew I was going to get busted for something that I did. And also knew that she might not know all of it. And if she knew all of it, it'd be even worse. But what was amazing is, is I get in trouble and I get grounded and all this stuff. But my mom never stopped loving me. She never stopped being my mom. And in the same way, it's like God's penetrating insight into who you are is the truest thing about you. And he tells you these things and he shares these things with you, not to condemn you, but he's already bought you back. And he's saying, because I bought you back, I love you too much to leave you ignorant to who you are and where you're at. So let me do that work in you. And that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? When the great physician, the lover of your soul says, we're going to level you up a little bit right now. We got to do some work here. So let me help you understand what's going on. And so don't be afraid of his gaze. His eyes are on you anyway. Let's let him share those insights and purify us. Now, as we keep going, we have here in verse 15, his feet are like fine brass as refined in the furnace. 
So when did you ever think of Jesus's feet being as furnace refined brass? You know, what? Right? And that's why Jesus is different than you'd expect. But the beauty is, is if you look all through the scriptures, the idea of refined brass in the Old Testament always speaks of both the judgment of the unrighteous and the deliverance of the righteous. Now, you might say, Fusco, where'd you get that from? Well, listen, if you look at things like the brazen altar in the tabernacle, I did a series on the book of Exodus many, many years ago. We have it in our archives. All of those different instruments, all those different pieces of furniture had all different things that they were made of. And so the idea of the altar was made of brass, which all through the scriptures, that burnished brass was where offerings were made. And it spoke of the sinfulness of the, of the unrighteous and also God's grace and deliverance of the righteous. And so the idea, of course, here is that Jesus, with these feet of burnished brass, is that Jesus is the feet of the one who has the good news, who is swift to bring the good news, to deliver the unrighteous so that we can be saved. Brothers, if you're here today and you're already a follower of Jesus, don't ever forget that you were in rebellion against God. That you were his enemy. And he ran to you in your rebellion and bought you back. We didn't go find him. He came and found us. He could have very easily just left us where we were. But he came for us. We didn't like, hey man, I started that. No, no, Jesus started that. We didn't even realize. And that's why for us, when I think of Jesus with his feet of fire, furnace, created bronze. I'm like, oh, how beautiful are the feet on the mountains that bring the good news. Speaking of Jesus, again, how do we not praise Jesus? He received the judgment that we deserved. He was God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The sacrifice on our behalf. So beautiful, so powerful. And of course, in Daniel chapter three, it talks about this. Talks about this also in Ezekiel chapter 1. There's all these different places. Also in Daniel chapter 10. Next we see his voice or the sound of many waters. Wow. The second half of verse 15. And of course, the sound of many waters, it, it speaks of his power and his majesty. I always think about when I think of the sound of many waters. How many of you have ever been in Niagara Falls in upstate New York? Yeah, a number of you. Is Niagara Falls quiet when you're there? No, so loud, right? I remember when Lynn and I got married, we got married in Yosemite National Park is a place that Lynn always wanted to get married, that little chapel there in the, in the valley. And I remember we stayed in uh, this place that was right on the, the river there, but it was like, it was the springtime. And so I remember the, the river that ran behind where we were staying, our little honeymoon suite was so loud. And then it was like, man, it's like living next to a highway right now. Because that the sound of that rushing water. So Jesus' voice has got tremendous power, tremendous majesty. And then, of course, it tells us in his right hand there are seven stars. So you have Jesus' voice. He says, now he's got these seven stars. You get back to verse 20 of Revelation 1, the seven stars are the angels or the messengers to the seven churches. You can just make a little note there. We'll talk about that in a second. And then the last attribute here in this, actually there's two more, verse 16, where it says, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. 
So the idea here is that Jesus, his words have power. Of course, the Old Testament reference is Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. And so the idea here is that it's the word of God that brings judgment. Now, of course, if you get into the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it talks about how the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. Now, it's a different Greek word, so scholars argue, should we use that or should we not? But I think the idea is that God's judgment is meted out by Jesus according to the word of God. And that's why the Bible is so important. The Bible is not just another book. We live in a world full of books, and books are great, but the Bible is different because it's the word of God. And that's why we take the Bible seriously here, and we think deeply about it, or we try to, because really Jesus has this sword coming out of his mouth. And of course, the last attribute here is his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Wow. So we always close all of our services with that high priestly blessing of, from Numbers chapter six. May his countenance shine upon you and give you peace. And now we see that the countenance, the, the affect of Jesus is like the sun shining in its strength. Jesus wants his light to be reflected into our lives. I was just reading it off. In our family devotions, we go through the Psalms. I think it was what, Psalm I think it's 35, either 34 or 35. In his light, we see light. And again, when you live in the presence of Jesus, he shines his countenance upon you and his presence and his countenance gives us peace. And no matter how dark your world is right now, no matter how challenging it is right now, I'm here to tell you, Jesus's countenance is shining upon you. And his countenance is bright. I love that. Now, I always, I'm aware, and I'll say this again, and then we'll keep moving here. Is that, you ever see like when you're, maybe you're hiking, or maybe you have some property where there'll be like a log that's in the ground, right? Do you ever flip those logs over? What happens when you flip those logs over? All the bugs scurry, right? Because they're used to being in the dark. But then the light shines and like, get me out of here. Well, in a lot of ways, that's how sinners are, right? That's how we are when we're living in rebellion against God. We want to kind of obscure the light. And then when the light hits you, you want to run. Remember Adam and Eve, when God came into the garden, they're like, man, we better hide. Like, who plays hide and seek from the all-knowing one? Like, it makes no sense. But we do that kind of stuff because we're like, man, listen, if he shines his light on me, he's going to know what, like, he knows what's, what's going on. And in a lot of ways, what I have found is that when we are struggling, and when I say struggle, I mean, maybe there's stuff going on in our life. We know it's wrong. We know we need to change that. We've been convicted. The word is clear. We know what God has asked us to do, but we still persist in it. There's a part of us that wants to hide from the light. But really, it's important to allow Jesus to make us uncomfortable in the light so that he can do his work in us. That's why I always talk about we need to drag our sins into the light. That's why groups are so important. Because you can come to Crossroads and you can be here and, and worship with us. But unless you drag into the light the things that are messed up in your world, they won't necessarily change. But when you share them with someone, say, listen, this is what's going on. This is what I look at on the internet. Listen, I'm drinking all the time. 
I was just talking to someone, no one in this area, somebody I know, and he was just confessing. He's like, man, I've been struggling with, with some prescription medicine, struggling with it. And I was just like, man, I'm going to pray for you. How are you going to, what are you going to do if you talk to your doctor about it? You know, I started because, you know, and I was just so grateful that they were willing to drag it into the light. Because when you don't drag it into the light, it continues on. But when you drag it into the light, it's uncomfortable in the short term, but it is fruitful in the long term. But when you hide that stuff, it feels comfortable in the short term, but it's destructive in the long term. So we want to let the countenance, the bright countenance of Jesus do what he wants to do. Is this a powerful picture? I mean, talk about the revelation of Jesus. Like, man, here's a vision. Now, we'll keep going. So we're going to move on from here. But look what it says next. Verse 17, it says, And when I saw him, Revelation 1, verse 17, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his hand on me and he said to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Now, really what we learn here, of course, is John sees this vision. He's so overwhelmed by this vision of Jesus glorified that he falls down as dead. So like he like, there's like this idea of slain in the spirit. That is not that. Because like nobody ever died slain in the spirit. Like John is like, I am just out. Like it's done, right? And Jesus, I love this. He laid his right hand on me. And what does he say? He says, there's nothing to fear. And this is the point here. There is nothing to fear. In the presence of God, there is nothing to fear. Can it be overwhelming? Yes, Can it completely disorient our entire lives? Yes. Will it send our lives in different directions than we would have been sent had we not known Jesus? Yes. But there is nothing to fear. And I love that Jesus said that. He's like, do not be afraid. Now, there are some Bible commentators who said that do not fear, do not be afraid, and it's derivatives. There are 365 of them in the Bible. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I've never counted them. So I don't want to pass along bad information. But it does make a nice little point, doesn't it? That there's like a do not be afraid or a derivative for every single day of your year. And I think we need that because what I am constantly seeing is that we have so many different things that we get scared of, right? We get scared of the mistakes of the past. We get scared of what's going to happen in the future. You know, it's amazing as, you know, I have lots of friends who are pastors and as I watch pastors reach that kind of age where it's time to transition and it's amazing how mighty men of God can get so scared about the future and I had one say to me recently he said I know I've told people not to be afraid forever and I'm scared of what the future holds and it's so appreciated the honesty Jesus is Are you afraid? Pastor Daniel shared today that you don't need to be. Even though confronting your sin is scary, it's necessary and you're not alone. Jesus is right there with you, ready to forgive all you've done and give you grace for the future. Don't be afraid to jump into a conversation with him about your life, about your deepest, darkest secrets, those ones you think no one sees. Jesus is already aware of them. By the way, once you open your heart, you'll find freedom that you didn't know existed. 
everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Hey, everybody. This is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore His people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus Is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel begins a journey through seven letters written to seven churches. He'll begin in Ephesus, a church you may already be familiar with thanks to another book of the Bible. This church wasn't perfect, though. No church is. The words for Ephesus are valuable for every church, even now. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.